I'm going to ask some people to come forward this morning. I don't mean to embarrass you, but there will be a number of people I think that will come down. I'd like to ask everyone, since this is kind of back to school time, if you are a teacher of any kind, and I'm going to include our Sunday school teachers, if you're a Sunday school teacher, would you come down here? If you teach in the grade school, if you teach in high school, if you're a college teacher, would you come on down? If you're a teacher's aide or a teacher's assistant, or you work in a, in a nursery or a daycare, would you just come on down to the front? And when you get down there, I want you to turn your lovely faces around so everybody can see you. And then, in front of all of our teachers and our aides and our assistants, I'd like to invite all the children that are here that are headed back to school, whether you be in preschool, kindergarten, whether you be in grade school, middle school, high school, uh, college, graduate school, whatever. So come on down. There's two lovely ones right up in front. You get to come. All the rest of the students, come on down. I just leave the rest of the old folks out there to pray for these people. <laughs> now look at, look at this. Isn't this great? These are people that we need to pray for. I had, a, I had an email the other day reminded me of something that I had started to do at a church almost 20-some years ago, and that is to pray for the teachers and the students as they begin a new year. Now, it would be really fun, I suppose, to go all the way down and find out where everybody goes to school and where everybody teaches. But you can take an opportunity as just by way of fellowship and love and interest for these people afterwards to go up and say, well, I didn't know you taught, or where do you teach, or where do you go to school? But can we pray for these people? Let's pray for all of these students and teachers. Lord God, for all of these teachers, and I just pray that you pour out an abundant blessing upon them. Lord, you know, many of them walk into into public school settings uh, where you can be pretty much assured that not everyone knows who Jesus is. I pray that you'll give each of them courage, that you will give them strength, you will give them whatever opportunities that would avail themselves to be able to share the love of Jesus, whether that be in just acts of kindness or just in the manner in which they walk through the hallways and as they deal with these students you've given them. For all of our Sunday school teachers and nursery care workers and all the people who have an opportunity to touch the young sheep in your kingdom, Lord. Just bless them and be with them. Give them strength and courage and patience and anything and everything that they need in order to fulfill the task that you've called them for this school year. And, Father, for all of these students, from the littlest one to the biggest one, again, you put them in classrooms where they will be rubbing shoulders with other people who may not know who Jesus is. We pray that as the opportunity arises that they too might you know, just be a, a good Christian friend to people, that they might, as the opportunity comes, to share Jesus with another person. Lord, also surround these young people with a, with a special hedge of protection to keep the evil one away from them, to keep them strong and secure in their faith. Lord, we ask this in all other things, in the blessed name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Can we thank God for all of our teachers? And you can return to your seats.
And, of course, may God bless all of our students, too. I am not skipping today's scripture reading. I'm going to read it as part of our message this morning. But let's begin again with a word of prayer. Father, I pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our Redeemer. Amen. Just a few short weeks after Jesus' death, crucifixion, and resurrection, Jesus stood in front of his disciples, and he spoke to them. If you've got your Bibles, it's in Acts chapter 1, and I want to read to you verses 4 and 5. It says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, He gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm pretty sure that the disciples had absolutely no idea what to expect with this gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they had been given some idea about God's plan, for his people, but at that point, I'm pretty sure that they did not even begin to understand the concept of the church and its future. They just did what Jesus told them to do. They waited in Jerusalem, and there was a reason. The reason they waited in Jerusalem was to see what God had in store, because maybe still echoing in their ears were the last few verses of the 28th chapter of Matthew. Most of you know those verses where it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, or making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. For lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Put yourself in the disciples' sandals for a moment. If I had been there and heard Jesus say, You are now going to disciple the nations, I would have been shaken. Because what Jesus just gave sounds like mission impossible to make disciples of the entire world. I mean, the disciples obviously did not have many resources. They didn't have the manpower, and apparently they didn't have a plan. But like always, when we don't have a plan, who does? God does. In fact, as you read a little bit further in the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, the big religious feast day, there were people from all over the world who found themselves in Jerusalem. The disciples were doing what they were told to do, wait, and they were waiting in this upper room when suddenly all heaven broke loose. All heaven broke loose. The sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the air, and suddenly these disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, that's the sound of the rushing wind, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? You know, it's at this point when everybody's bewildered and, and really the nations of the world kind of gathered around this upper room 
that Peter, of all people, stood up and he preached the very first sermon in the history of the church. And our texts for today really are his words. When he wraps up his message, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children, he said, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then when you get down to verse 41 of chapter 2, it says, those who accepted his message, that's Peter's message, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I have never preached a sermon that good in my life that 3,000 were baptized in a response to that. Well, today we want to take a look at the early church's message because I think how they communicated to their culture gives us a clue how we can communicate to this culture we find ourselves in, whether we live on the Arkansas side or the Texas side. We're going to look at this very first sermon that Peter preached in order to get an idea of what kind of sermon you folks ought to be preaching this week. You get that? You guys need to preach this week. Now, I know some of you are saying, uh, but pastor, isn't that what we pay you to do? A little. A little. I'm telling you that you have to preach this week, too, because I'm not the only one here who's been called by God to do it. As a matter of fact, all of you are going to be preaching more or have the opportunity to preach more this week than maybe I will. In your daily conversations with people, you're going to come into contact probably with more unbelievers or unchurched people than I will this week. And see, the message of the church is much more than just what a pastor says on a Sunday morning. Let me give you an example. I've been to churches where the pastor said... We want to welcome all of our guests today, but the message of the church was, but we're going to ignore you while you're here. I've been in churches where the pastor said, the Christian life is a life of joy, but the message of the church in their attitudes and their actions to one another was anything but joyful. I've been to churches where the pastor said, salvation is the free gift of God, But the church's message really was, but regardless, we're going to make you work for it. See, every church, including First Lutheran Church, Texarkana, Texas, proclaims a message to its community, and that message that this church proclaims out in this community is louder than any sermon I will ever preach inside these four walls. Today, I want us to think about and ask this question, What is our message? I mean, what is the message of this church? And how can we make sure that message gets outside these walls to people who desperately need it? And we're going to look here at the final passage in this sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And I want to suggest to you three areas that we as a church and you as individuals need to be preaching 
over and over and over in this community. Here's the very first thing. We need to talk about Jesus. That's pretty simple, huh? We need to talk about Jesus. Have you, have you spotted my tie yet? What does it say on there? I love Jesus. That's what it says. Do you love Jesus? Or are you just merely acquainted with him occasionally? You heard the name somewhere. Do you love Jesus? We need to talk about Jesus. I mean, Peter summarized the life of Jesus, connecting him to the Old Testament prophecies when he says here in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, Peter's making a point here. He is saying that Jesus is not just some sort of good teacher. Jesus is not just some great Jewish rabbi. Jesus is not just some wonderful prophet. Jesus is the Messiah. He is Yeshua Mashiach. He is the God's chosen one. He is Lord, and the Lord's name is what? Say it. Jesus. I remember consulting a church a few years ago, and I made a rather interesting observation as I was listening to the 25-minute message tape, the sermon tape that they sent me. It was a sermon in which the pastor at no time in 25 minutes ever mentioned the name Jesus. He talked about God. He talked about King David. He talked about the Apostle Paul, but he never, ever mentioned the name Jesus. So I picked up their order of service that they also sent me, and I went through that order of worship with the tape, and I looked at the songs that that church sang that day, and not a single one of them referenced Jesus. Now, we sang songs about you with a capital uh, Y. We sang about how good you are. We sang about how good you made my life. We sang uh, about all kinds of stuff, but we never sang the name of Jesus. We sang about God, and we sang about singing, and we actually sang about dancing. We sang about being happy, but we did not sing about Jesus. And I carefully went through the rest of their worship folder, and there was nothing in there about Jesus. In fact, as best as I could tell, the only time Jesus was ever mentioned in that church service was in the closing prayer that ended, in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, I've got to tell you, this was not some sort of liberal fly-by-night church. This was not Billy Bob's Church of the Wayside out in the middle of Waxahachie, Texas someplace. This was a mainline denominational church. These were conservative people. These were traditional people. And yet they went through an entire service without mentioning the name of who? Jesus. I mean, this is... I want to put the best construction. Isn't that what the Eighth Commandment says? <laughs> put the best construction. I thought maybe this was just a one-time oversight on the part of this church's leadership. But even if it's a one-time oversight, I say what a tragic oversight that is to get together in a Christian church and never talk about Jesus. See, we need to make sure that we keep the name of Jesus at the top of our vocabulary. We need to make sure that we talk about him. He's Lord. This is his church. We're here to glorify his name, and his name is what? It's Jesus. Now, there are a bunch of derogatory terms, by the way, that have been bestowed upon people who follow this Jesus. Uh, I've been called a few of them in my life. There, there's, there's two of them I want to mention. One of them I don't like, and the other one I kind of like. 
I don't like being called a religious nut. I don't like being called a religious fanatic. I don't like being called a religious wacko. And I've been called all three of those. I don't like that. But you know something? I do not mind being called a Jesus freak. I don't mind being called a Jesus freak. I mean, if people think I'm a little bit over the top, if they think I'm a little bit wacko or whatever, I, I want them to think that I, I'm over the top not about religious rules and regulations. I want them to know that I'm over the top about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords whose name is what? It's Jesus. See, after Peter preached and he preached about Jesus, did you catch what happened? Verse 37 says, when they heard this, when they heard about this Jesus, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and all the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, in other versions of the Bible, besides cut to the heart, it says pierced to the heart. Think about that for a moment. At the name of Jesus, people are pierced to the heart. I can tell you that happens to everybody when you talk about Jesus. Now, we can moralize. We can preach against all that's wrong in this world. We can talk about what's bad about movies and music and those god-awful reality-based television shows. And we can rail against dishonest politicians and the so-called liberal media. We can go on and on and on. And almost all those words fall on deaf ears. But when people hear the name of who? Jesus. When they hear that name exalted, they will be pierced to the heart. Let me take you back a few years. Do you remember the movie, The Passion of the Christ? Do you remember that movie? Why do you think the movie, The Passion of the Christ, had such a huge impact in our country, both positive and negative? It's because it brought millions of people face-to-face -face with the reality of who Jesus is. It told the story that we need to tell that Jesus, whom we crucified with our sins, is both Lord and Christ. Now, Jesus himself said, and I think it's on your message outline, John chapter 12, verse 32, but when I, Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And we kind of sang that already, didn't we? Lift high the cross. The cross of who? Christ, we're going to proclaim. Now, he was literally, I think, speaking of his crucifixion, but I think he was also teaching us this principle. The principle that says we need to do everything we can to lift the name of Jesus higher. Not to hide behind it and not even bring the name up. Why? Because when we talk to people about Jesus, people are pierced to the heart. What kind of sermon are you going to preach this week? <laughs> Make sure you talk about who? Jesus. Okay, what else do we need to talk about? Here's number two. We need to talk about salvation. We need to talk about salvation. Have you ever talked to non-Christians about what they think the church is all about? I love talking a bit. Like, do you go to church? Nah. Well, what do you think church is all about? I think a lot of unchurched people think that church is all about don't do this and don't do that. A lot of people think that a typical sermon could be summarized this way. You're all evil, wicked, bad, and nasty, and you're all going to fry in hell. God bless you. Go home. I think a lot of people also think Christians are best defined by what they're against. Boy, I hope this is never a church of stuff that we're against. I hope it's a church of people who are for something. We're for who? What's his name? Jesus. 
and we're also going to be about salvation. But see, believers know this isn't true, that that's what the church is all about, at least not the majority of churches in this world. But that doesn't change the mind of unchurched people in this community that don't know, by and large, what we're about and what we stand for. I've been asking people, and I'm meeting people. I even gathered with a group of pastors the other day, and, and when they asked me, they never met me before, I said, oh, Dr. Barry Culp, I'm from First Lutheran Church, and they said, oh, where's that at? Now you'd think, for heaven's sakes, it's on Texas Boulevard. And I said, it's 4600 Texas Boulevard. The guy goes, ah, is that anywhere close to Spring Lake Baptist? Yeah, like right across the street. Made me wonder, does anybody know who we are? Don't they know where we're at? Do they have any idea about what we stand for? Should they? Yes, they should. We need to take responsibility for making sure that they know that we stand for Jesus, that we stand for salvation. See, and after Peter preached this gospel of Jesus in Acts 2.37, it says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they asked Peter and they asked all of the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, when it comes to knowing Jesus, I want to suggest to you that there are hundreds, if not thousands of people in Bowie and Miller County and all the other surrounding counties here that are still asking, what shall we do? What shall we do? And the key word here is do. That's present tense, as in right now. What are we going to do right now? Let me tell you something I find really frustrating about some people. It's when you got a problem and you go to this other person for, and their advice consists of telling you what you should have done in the first place. That frustrates me. I mean, at that point, I already know what I should have done in the first place. I already know why I'm here seeking advice. What I want to know is what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? I think many non-believers think our message is only about sin and, and how wrong it is and how much they're going to burn in hell someday for it. But that's, that's really not our message, friends. But let me make something perfectly clear, lest you think I'm going to be soft on sin. I'm not. Let me be very clear. We are all sinners. Every last one of us, starting with me down to the letter Z. We are all sinners. Sin is bad. Sin breaks the heart of God and sin destroys your life and sin destroys the life of everybody that you come into contact with. That's just the fact of life. But that is not the good news that we ought to be about. The good news is that Jesus has the power to come into a sinner's life and change that life for good forever. We need to be the kind of church that talks about that kind of salvation. We need to do it loud and clear. The people said, Peter... What shall we do? And what did he say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the power or the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me mention just three things that Peter talked about real quick. Peter preached repentance. We need to pe preach repentance to people too. But I want to clarify something for you this morning. Repentance doesn't mean stop having fun that's not what repentance means repentance literally means stop destroying your life that's what repentance literally means stop destroying your life 
And that's what sin does. It just it destroys. It does nothing but bring misery into your life and into the lives of other people. Let me just give you a minor little example. Let's just think about something that a lot of us kind of fall easily into. It's called gossip. Gossip. I want you to give some thought just for a moment to the misery that gossip causes. Gossip damages reputations. Gossip ruins relationships. Gossip destroys trust. Gossip wrecks credibility. And regardless of whatever you may think, if you're a gossip, people sooner or later are going to begin to despise you and they're going to label you for what you are, a gossip. See, when you gossip, then you hurt other people and you hurt yourself. So when we say repent, we're not saying stop having fun because in the long run, sin isn't much fun. We're saying stop ruining your life. Stop ruining your life. But our message has to be a whole lot more than stop ruining your life. It has to be more than turn away from sin. We've got to say turn away from sin and turn towards, what's his name? Jesus. See, repentance is an about face. You're going one direction in life. You're ruining your life. You're going to turn around and you're going to go in another direction. Peter preached repentance. We need to preach it too. And the complete message of repentance is stop going that way and start going towards Jesus. Peter also talked about obedience. What did he say here? Be baptized. See, baptism is really the first step of obedience for somebody who believes in Jesus. In fact, I'd say today that if you've never been baptized and you're willing to say, I believe in Jesus, you better come down here right after service. I'll baptize you. That's the first step in obedience. But there are many other steps of obedience along the way. I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. I, I know Jesus. I mean, he died for me on the cross. I accept that. I want to be his. My natural response is, now what can I do to serve him? Not what, I, not what, not what can I do to earn heaven, because I've already got heaven because of what he's done. But how could I, how could I serve him? Peter also talked about the Holy Spirit. We could talk about this all day. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. I, I sometimes think we haven't got the vaguest idea what to do with the Holy Spirit. I was at a conference a number of years ago when the main speaker said, what do you expect the Holy Spirit to do at your church this weekend? Good question, huh? What did you, in fact, before you came today, be honest with yourself. What were you hoping the Holy Spirit would do today in church? Or wasn't that on your radar screen? Well, at this conference, when that was asked, what do you hope the Holy Spirit will do this weekend? Some pastor in the group said, we hope he sits in the back and keeps to himself. Now, a lot of people laughed. And then the speaker said, you're not Lutheran, are you? And everybody laughed again. He said, I apologize for saying Lutheran because I could have said Presbyterian or Methodist or Baptist or Pentecostal or Catholic or whatever. But see, a lot of people don't want the Holy Spirit too far out of the box because if the Holy Spirit gets too far out of the box, he sometimes is a little bit uncontrollable. And we kind of like to have everything just so, don't want to get too excited that we'd actually break into a smile. Don't want to get too carried away that we might actually, I don't, know how, I don't know how you could clap along with a hymn or raise your hand, John, you'll get better reception. Is that what you're doing? I don't know. 
Uh, but, but Jesus promised his disciples that when they came to know Jesus, they'd receive the power of the Holy Spirit. He made it clear that the Spirit is what makes the difference in your life. Now, you say, I don't really know if I can go out and tell anybody about Jesus this week. Hey, folks, let the Holy Spirit loose. Turn him loose in your life. Holy Spirit, work through me this week. We need to make sure we're preaching this message as well. God gives you the Spirit so that you have the power to live from day to day. I mean, how many people do you know that, that their lives are just one disaster after another, but they just keep plowing along? And you sometimes wonder, my gosh, how do they do it? And you go up and talk to them, and the first thing you find out is they just say, hey, I thank Jesus for my life. There it is. There's that word. And it kind of pierces you to your heart because sometimes you forgot about that. And then they just say, I, I, I'm so happy that God loved me enough to send Jesus into this world to make, make sure that I have forgiveness of sins and I've got life everlasting. And no matter what this world hands me, I got something better ahead of me. But I'm going to be honest with you, I couldn't handle it if it weren't for his presence in me every step of the way. And what are they telling you? They're preaching to you a message about Jesus. They're talking to you about salvation, and they're talking to you about the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, all I'm saying is that we need to learn how to challenge people to start moving God's direction, to walk in obedience, and, and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what kind of sermon are you going to preach this week? Well, first of all, you ought to talk about who? And we ought to also talk about what? Salvation. That's the second thing. Here's the third thing. We need to talk about the promises of God. You know, there are over 7,000 of them in the, in the Bible, 7,000 promises. How many have you cashed this week? They're like blank checks. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And what? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, He'll make straight your paths. There's his promise. I'll make, I'll straighten out your life. All you got to do is what? <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. Every promise in the Bible has what? It's got a premise. You do this, God says, I'll do that. Just that simple. But here, Peter has another promise. Look at verse 39. The promise, he said, is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, on your message outline, I think there's a little spot here. I'm going I'm to say this statement a couple times. It starts with the words, the gospel message. I think this is key today. The gospel message is a message of hope, and it is the only hope for you and your entire family. Did you get that? The gospel message, I'm talking about the good news of Jesus. That gospel message is a message of hope, and it is the only hope for you and for your entire family. Let me give you an example. You can read this story later. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas stand up and they talk about who? Jesus. They give the message of salvation. The jailer at Philippi says, what shall, he's pierced to the heart, and they say, what shall I do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized you and your whole family, they go home, and what happens? The jailer is saved along with his entire family. Now, we need to make sure that we proclaim that message. Peter also says, and for all who are far off. Now, in the days of Jesus, the far off people, we would call them Gentiles. These were non-Jews. 
they were led to believe that because they were not born Jewish by birth, that they were far away from God. They were less than special in God's eyes. They looked upon people as kind of like half-breeds or mixed-race kind of people. And they had to work especially hard to be right with God. And so Peter stands up and tells them what? Hey, folks, the good news for you is this. Those of you who used to think you were far away from God, this promise is for you. You too can be saved. Think about this community again. Texarkana. There are people in our community who also believe that they're far off from God. They really do. They think they're so far from God that they could never be right with him. And it could be that some of you are sitting there today even thinking that. I'd love to be sold out for Jesus. I'd like to be a Jesus freak. But you don't know what I've done, Pastor. I'll tell you, I don't care what you've done. God already knows what you did. And God says you can be right with him. Some people think they're too far gone and done too many bad things, but that simply is not true. That's an absolute falsehood. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for you, if that's what you think. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for people out there, people who feel that they're somehow far away from God. See, Jesus came into the world to die on this cross for your sins. You can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can be set free from your past. You can live a new life. That's what the Holy Spirit's all about. The gospel is for you, and the message he's given you, you need to share with everybody. We had teachers up here before. Teachers, you got the opportunity to share that some way. Students, you're up here before. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit as a believer to share that message where you go. But it doesn't stop there. It's everybody else who found themselves just sitting in the pews praying for them. You got that message too. Take it out and share it with somebody. Now, every Sunday, I try my very best. I try my very best to be faithful to the message of this book. I try my very best every week by God's power to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as close to the leaders of the early church proclaimed it. But I honestly cannot do this all by myself. I can't. I look upon us here at First Lutheran as a team. We're all in this together because it's not what I preach on Sundays. It's what y'all are doing 24-7, 365. What is our message? What kind of sermon shall we preach? Well, let's see what you remember. Let's talk about who? Okay, let's talk about salvation, and let's talk about God's promises. We want to talk about Jesus because when people hear about it, what happens to them? They are pierced to the heart. We need to talk about salvation because the salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ answers the questions that people in life are asking. And we need to talk about God's promises. Why? Because his promises give hope to those people who feel that they are beyond hope. Here's the last thing on your message outline. We will all preach this week. Let's make it the best sermon ever. You with me on that one? Let's pray. Oh, Father, you give us so much. The word is just full to overflowing. 
You call us, you challenge us, but you never send us out without the power. I know it's pretty scary to think that we ought to go and talk about Jesus. But anything else we talk about, I mean, who cares? I mean, who cares what football team wins or whether this project gets started on time or whatever. We, we know that you've called us to, to be faithful in our jobs and our places of duty. But yet, yet, at the same time, you've asked us to be out there and preach Jesus. We pray that we will be stirred by the Holy Spirit. We pray that we will indeed be overcome by the Holy Spirit. That we will trust in that Spirit's power to give us the words when we don't think we've got any words. To give us the strength when we don't think we have any strength. And to talk about the wonderful things that you've done in our life. And to share with people the promises that Jesus brings hope to people who are way beyond or feel that they're way beyond hope. Lord, we will all preach this week, whether we like it or not, we're going to preach a message. And I just pray that it be our best sermon ever. In Jesus' name, amen. So I call